This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. There's, I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, why don't Uber drivers need to go to the gym? Something involving lifting. Yeah, because <laughs> because all of them also lift. I like when I get enough of your jokes <laughs> to ruin the punchline, <laughs> but then you still go hard on the punchline anyway. Right. Well, hey, what was I going to do? I can't... uh, Okay, Albert Einstein was a genius, but his brother Frank was a monster. (laughs) Frank Einstein. (laughs) Now, that's a good joke. (laughs) Okay. That's a good Uh, joke. It's a... uh, But... (laughs) Not to be that guy. This is the most that guy. Uh, This is the most that guy thing I'm going to do hopefully all day. Yeah. But Frankenstein was the doctor, (laughs) not the monster. (laughs) Oh, I I even even saying it out loud. No. I felt like that guy. It's the it's the cliche that guy. It is the most. It really is. That guy thing that that guy has ever done. It's the it's the ultimate in well actually. Oh God! Sometimes I sometimes people science communicators on Twitter well actually someone who is from sort of the broad public and then another science communicator will come in and well actually the science communicator oh, boy. and that is what I live for. Really? When when somebody just well actually and then they get well actually that's what I want. That's all I that's that's the whole reason I'm on Twitter. Whenever that stuff happens on Twitter, do you know what I think? And admitted. This is somewhat colored by the fact that I've had a rough week, but I always think, boy, in a hundred years, we'll all be dead. And this is what we did with our one wild and precious life. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And it was so, and it was worth it. It was worth it to take that guy and be that guy to that guy. John, you want to hear some questions from our listeners? Yeah. This one's about forks. It's from Mallory who asks, dear Hank, 
And hey, John, I just didn't want to say dear John to you for some reason. That's fine. So my boyfriend and I moved in together a year ago and it's been great, except that our forks keep disappearing. We had so many forks. They were overflowing in the drawer. That's a lot of forks. Depends on the drawer size, but yeah. But now we have five, maybe? I honestly didn't notice until my boyfriend made spaghetti one night and handed me a spoon. Spoons and spaghetti. Mallory, okay. First of all, you got five forks. You can't clean a fork. Mallory's boyfriend. Yeah, five forks should be good. Yeah. I I feel like I only had five forks until I was like 35 years old. How many people are over? It's just the two of you. That's an. We only got the sixth fork when we had the second kid. (laughs) We got that was the main baby warming present we got. We were just like, you know, what we're going to need is probably more forks. It's probably a single more fork. Can I tell you the story, the tragic story, Hank, of my life in silverware? Um, I guess I probably have no choice. When Sarah and I got married, we registered for silverware, as you do. Yep. And we had to pick out what cutlery we wanted at the cutlery store. Mm -hmm. I don't really remember how it went down. All I remember is the salesperson was like, you'll love this design if you love history, because Paul Revere designed this Silverware. I didn't realize that was one of Paul Revere's jobs. I only knew about the one job. It was, I think it was Paul Revere's main job. Yeah. I don't think he was primarily a person who rode horses <laughs> to warn of British invasions. I think he was primarily <laughs> right. a, a maker it's of a silverware. Safe. Although, uh, listen, yeah. I'm not an expert and I don't want to get well actually on this. So <laughs> leave your yeah. well actuallys in your pocket. Okay. So we got Paul Revere's silverware. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we've been married for 15 years. We've had Paul Revere's silverware this whole time. And Nothing against Paul Revere. Super grateful right. that he started the American Revolution, which has gone or whatever swimmingly. <laughs> the silverware, uh-huh. and I don't like to use bad words on this podcast, sucks. <laughs> I mean, I don't really understand. I- I've never, I've never Google it. Used a fork that I was like, boy, this one's bad. Yeah, I know because you haven't used Paul Revere's <laughs> fork, but it sucks. Why is it bad? I'm looking at it. I thought it would be more ornate. No. But it's just pretty chill, actually. It is pretty chill. The only thing about it is that it's terrible at being a fork. (laughs) (laughs) They just Are they too chubby? Are the tines too chubby? Yeah, so like... They look like chubby tines. The weight distribution is all wrong. Like, the one Mm. thing you really want your fork to do is not to, like, unexpectedly exit... Wow. a, ...a bowl or a plate, and it does that all the time. Oh! Oh, interesting. So it's it's bottom heavy. I, I Listen, I don't know that I got the best Paul Revere silverware. Incidentally, I don't even know for sure that I have Paul Revere silverware. This <laughs> salesperson could have been lying to me. Yeah. All I know is that the silverware that I have that I was told was Paul Revere silverware is terrible. Okay. So the, the good news, the good news is that Mallory is way ahead. Yeah. Does not have too many bad forks. If you have five forks you like, things are going great. You may be ending up in a situation where you are going to identify what has gone wrong. So something clearly has gone wrong. There is some way that the forks are leaving your home and they are not coming back. It might might be in the trash. It might be that you or your boyfriend takes them to work and then leaves them in the at work and then they accumulate at work somehow or that there's just a desk somewhere that's covered in forks, which knowing myself is not totally un, unpossible thing. 
But because now you have so few forks, you're going to have to pay attention because you cannot eat spaghetti with a spoon. It's physically impossible. And why didn't your boyfriend just wash a fork? But anyway, you're going to have to keep track of your forks. You're going to have to know where they are, know where they're going, and you will find where they've gone. And this is the only way to do it. You can't go get more forks because then you're just going to be one of these people who's just constantly hemorrhaging forks. No, you can go get more forks, and your advice is terrible. No, you have to watch your current forks. You should watch your current forks. If you need more forks, I have serious advice. <laughs> go to Goodwill. Yeah, they have, they so, have many forks. so many forks, oh my God. and the forks are super cheap. Yeah, that's where all the forks end up. Yeah, and by the way, that may be where my Paul Revere forks end up someday. If I, <laughs> I mean, I've been living with these things for 15 years, even though I actively hate them. Yeah. It's like, it's one of the only things in my home that like makes me angry on a regular basis. Yeah. The other thing is that there's a staircase in my house, not to brag, and it has 19 stairs, which is unconscionable. <laughs> why, John? What's, why? Because you can't have 10 stairs, a landing, and then nine stairs. You have uh, to have an even number. Mm. Everyone knows this. You have to have an even number of stairs so that the number of steps that you take okay. to the landing and the number of steps you take to the floor below are the same number of steps. This is a, this, Hank, I shouldn't even have to explain this to you. This is like armrests on airplanes. It's extremely obvious. There shouldn't be debate about it. There should always be an even number of stairs. It's not something I, I knew. I don't have, I also have stairs, not to brag, but they do not really have a landing. Just goes up. Your staircase, I know, your staircase has an even number of stairs, though. I know it has an even number of stairs. <laughs> and it's weird to me that you don't know that after living in your house for so many years. That's so when weird. Did, how do you not know how many stairs there are in your house, you weirdo? So is the last stair a stair or is that just the floor? It's how many steps down you have to take should always be an even number. Okay. <laughs> so the last step I don't, is I don't think step. this is... I, I honestly, until I said it out loud, now it seems like a little weird. And now I think people are going to think that I'm being weird. But I, I, until I said it out loud, it seemed <laughs> like a given fact to me. Okay. That's, <laughs> like life well, is better than no life. Well, you know, well, like, <laughs> like a, a, an absolute... Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's good maybe... So there's two two things here. Either you have a touchstone that is deep-rooted and you will never let go of, which is nice to have those, or you have realized that a thing that has caused you stress is completely founded in nothing and you can let go of it. Whichever one it is, it's great. There's a great Quora question. I want to read it to you, Hank. Quora question? Yeah, you know, Quora.com? Yeah, sure. Here's the question. No context. Why steps odd in number in stairs? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Uh, I agree with this question. Uh, <laughs> you wrote that while you no, were I drunk did. one I night. Did. I, I would have. I would have. Uh, <laughs> you were just mad at your stairs, and you'd had a glass of Chablis. Yeah, and you couldn't. And you were so mad at your forks, and you were so yeah. mad at your stairs. Yeah, I realized. I realized the kind of person I'm sounding like now that you say it in that context, <laughs> as if I would ever drink Chablis. Let's move on. I don't even know what Chablis is. I know you. It's clear. That's clear. You're trying. You're trying to think of a fancy <laughs> wine, and you just. It couldn't have gone worse. <laughs> it's like. It's like if you're like, it if sounds you're like, French. You're sitting there drinking your Miller High Life, 
<laughs> thinking you're a fancy person. I don't know. I don't know wines. They all taste like grapes. All right. This next question comes from Katie Hank. It's extremely important. She writes, Dear John and Hank, six months ago, I took a funny picture of my cat. I posted it to my personal Facebook and a cat group and then went about my day. Two days ago, someone random found it and shared it on Twitter. And now it has 400,000 likes. It's trending. <laughs> There's a BuzzFeed article. Oh, my God. Famous people are sharing it. My cat's Instagram is blowing up. I barely use social media. Well, Katie, you can't say you barely use social media if your cat has an Instagram. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Good, good call out, John. You don't barely use social media. Like <laughs> I barely use social media. My cat is very active. <laughs> <laughs> My cat updates their story at least five times a day. Yeah. How did this happen to me? I did a brief interview with BuzzFeed before it seriously blew up, and now I'm wondering if that was a bad idea. It's fun that my cat is internet famous, but I personally don't want to be internet famous. What do I do? Should I own it and turn my online persona into 100% cat all the time? Should I retreat into a hole and come out when it's over? Trying to be calm, Roscoe's mom. Well... I have a book for you to read. It's called An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. It's exactly like this. Actually, it's good advice. It's a very similar situation, except that there's not a, a cat involved. And actually, now that I think of it, it's sort of a myth that I have not written any cats or dogs into either of my books. So maybe there's an opportunity there. There isn't. There is a uh, a non-human in the in the in the next one that does take up a lot of page space. So that's good. An animal. Yeah, that character is great, by the way. I thank you. I had a lot of fun with it. Oh, it, this is a whole. I I found the by knowing the cat's name, I found the meme. I have also found the meme. I just followed the cat on Instagram. It's just being Roscoe on Instagram. Not to cr- make this problem worse. Yeah. I so I think that you should. I mean, somebody painted. <laughs> uh, the painting is very good. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you should read an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank. Of course, that should be the foundation. Anytime you get internet famous in an unexpected way, you should immediately be emailed a copy of an absolutely remarkable thing. (laughs) What I think you should do is different from what I would do. Because like what I think you should do is enjoy the moment Uh and not try to make it your life. Yeah. But what I obviously would do, and in fact did do when my brother's video went viral back in July of 2007, was like lean the hell in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a different time now as well. And to be and to be honest with you, Katie, I'm on your red bubble right now where you design microbiology uh, art and stickers. Oh, cool. And I think you're doing exactly the right thing, which is you're saying, OK, Roscoe's famous. How can I leverage this into my uh, other passions, designing cute things and microbiology, which for clarity, I am also interested in. And so this sticker pack of uh the symbiosis love sticker. I'm probably going to get that, which, by the way, is only $2.50, and you can get it at K-T-B-E-L-L-I-S-S on Redbubble. Anyway, you are doing Ooh, the proper might thing. Wanna, I might want to have a slightly more memorable Redbubble name. It's probably a good idea. And uh, and also write into your favorite podcast and get them to talk about it, which has also been done, success. So you, you, you're doing all of the correct things. Should you have done an interview with BuzzFeed? Probably. Is like your cat having thousands of followers on Instagram going to like functionally change your life? Probably not. But now you have an experience. It's both a great story that you can tell at a party 
Uh, even into your old age, this will be a fun story to tell. Yes. And then secondarily, it is a life experience that you will gain knowledge from that many people have, but but not most. Okay, I agree with all of that. But that said, the story is much better and much funnier if you didn't go on to try to leverage your cat's fame into right. a career as a professional mm-hmm. cat memer. Yes. It's much better if if it is just another step on your graphic design and microbiology path. Totally. Yes, absolutely. Pay with credit card. Are you buying it for real right now? Yeah, I got a sticker. I'm impressed by your ability to purchase while you pod. This next question comes from Caroline, who asks, Dear John and Hank, what's your favorite bird? There's so many wonderful (laughs) birds, but I think mine is the American robin. They're so fun to watch. That's a great bird. Yeah. It's a good bird. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, it's not in my top hundred. Wow. They serve as a good reminder of the beauty right under our noses. God knows they are under our noses. (laughs) Rocking like a robin, Caroline. (laughs) Wow. So John hates robins, apparently. I don't hate robins. I just, I'm not putting them in my top hundred. Robins are great. And both American and non-American robins are great. Got a shout out to all those British robins that they talk about in the secret garden, which is that robin is really important and it holds a nice solid space in my heart that I will never let go of. My favorite bird might be the meadowlark because they have the best uh, song. I feel the same way about flowers where I'm not, I like like a pretty flower, but really I want a flower that smells great. Mm. And so meadowlarks are pretty birds, but they sound amazing. And they're good looking birds, but the the noises they make and they're common in Montana, and I'd never met one until I moved here. They just, the they sound so good. Their songs are so good. For me, it's the mockingbird. Yeah, sure. I don't know the exact name of the species, so I'm just going to call it the Florida mockingbird. Sure, because yeah. Because that is where I, I have seen them most often. When we were growing up, we would often hear mockingbird calls, and when I hear them now, it makes me feel like I'm 10 years old again, but in the good ways, not in all of the many horrible ways. John, do you know the scientific name of the mockingbird? I believe it is known as Mmmidae. What? No, I don't. <laughs> I didn't get... What is it? What? It's, it's, uh, it, it's Mimus polyglottis, which is great. Oh, so it's basically mo- mockingbird. <laughs> so it's a mimic and it's, yeah, and it's a polyglot. So it can say, it can speak all of the language of all the bird languages, which is so great. No, I mean, it can't speak all of them, but it can speak a bunch of them. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, just several. Polyglottis meaning it can speak several languages. Yeah. Of birds, which is great. Do you have a least favorite bird? For me, it's the blue jay. I really like all corvids and I can't, I will not, I will not say that a corvid is not my favorite bird. Um, So ravens, crows, stellars, jays are a big one for me. They're really pretty. But uh, bird that I hate. Ah. I don't want to say that I hate pigeons because, like, of course I do. Of course everyone does. They're just around too much. They're very difficult to clean up after for a while. Our office building that we rented had a pigeon problem, and the pigeons were not kind stewards of the space. I remember when we lived in New York, we had like a window air conditioning unit and these two pigeons would like, they would like fight and make love. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, at all just, hours of the yeah. day and night on <laughs> on the window air conditioning unit. You know, uh-huh. like they were like a troubled couple, but where like mm-hmm. love ran very hot when it ran. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And like, yeah. I, I, we would get up at like 5.30 in the morning and Sarah would be like, shut up. Yeah. What, what is it now? <laughs> yeah, no, she would like. And one of the bitches is like, where are all the forks going? We would use like a broomstick to like hammer on the window air conditioning unit and be like, please cease and desist. What do pigeons argue about? Oh. Only the pigeons know. I mean, but what do humans argue about? Stupid stuff. The forks. Yeah. Oh, I have a least favorite bird. It's the Canadian goose. They do lay some big old turds. I mean, they poop out their body weight like once a month. <laughs> oh, I think I do that. Mm, probably not. Great question. <laughs> like, <laughs> How long does Definitely, it take? No, no, no. It's not even close, but it, it did force me to pause and, and consider. <laughs> um, great. Let's move on. <laughs> this next question comes from Kayla, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I work at an escape room, and it's pretty fun most of the time. Unfortunately, I haven't been getting many hours lately since we haven't been that busy, and I probably won't get much more over the summer. I'd like to quit in the next month or so and maybe find a new job for the summer. Thing is, I've never really quit a job. I'm a high school senior and all the jobs I've had before this are seasonal, so I've never had to like give my two weeks notice. I like all my coworkers and have worked there for over a year and a half. How do I tell them it's time for me to go? Trying to escape my job, Kayla. You just go to your boss and say, I uh, have to put in my two weeks notice. Yeah. I'm changing careers. I'm changing careers. I think like it's great when work can be a community that you feel you are a part of. And in those situations, it does. it is strange to be like, I am choosing to no longer be a part of this enterprise, but you got to do it. And I think in part, like if you're not getting a lot of hours, it's probably because they don't, like, they don't have the hours to give you. They know that. They know what the situation is. So it's not going to hurt their feelings. But I think you should say, I really liked working here. I, I just think that I'd need something that has more steady hours. And I also feel like if it's a job you value and you've had a great relationship with your colleagues, that if you're in a position to say, I'm going to be moving on from this job, but I can give you two weeks notice or four weeks notice, yeah, whatever's easier for you, that can be very helpful sometimes. Sometimes people need to bring someone else in. It's never comfortable to have big, honest conversations about your work life with the people you work for. But it's really important. And mm -hmm. if you are forthright and honest, it usually leads to a good departure, which also means that down the road, you're going to have a good relationship that you can look back on and ask for references for and all that stuff. Yeah. And also it's going to be, this is not the last time you're going to do this. And so learning how it feels will be a helpful thing in the future. For sure. This next question comes from Jaden, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I work as a server at an Italian restaurant, and recently, on a particularly busy day, we ran, we, <laughs> we ran out of pasta to serve. When I, when I went to tell my tables that we had run out of noodles and that they could all either order bread or salads or beverages, they proceeded to yell at me as though I had single-handedly ingested the entire restaurant's worth of spaghetti causing the problem. I had to run to the bathroom because my anxiety disorder and pastelist restaurant were giving me a panic attack. How do I convey my own frustration at the situation while also not getting yelled at by 12 people next time, constantly lacking in positivity, Jaden? Jade, uh, mm, <coughs> uh, what you just said to these people is leave. 
Yeah. And like, you should not have been required to do that because clearly you did not under order pasta at the Italian restaurant. Yeah. Secondarily, I don't know where you live, but most <laughs> pasta restaurants exist somewhere within a couple of miles of pasta. Right. Go get, they should send somebody to get more pasta. Yeah. It's, it's out there. It's going to be a minute, but we've got somebody <laughs> going to Kroger and <laughs> we're going to, we're going to take care of this problem. Yeah. I Yeah. This is obviously, Jaden, you are not at fault, but you're always going to feel mortified because you are the representative of this institution mm -hmm. that has failed at its most basic duty, right? Like <laughs> the first thing. I don't know very much about Italy. <laughs> the first thing an Olive Garden has to do <laughs> is have pasta. <laughs> I don't even know what the second thing is. Yeah. It might be breadsticks, but. Yeah, no, it's breadsticks. And so. There's nothing that you did wrong, and the people who got mad at you, they're responding inappropriately, but they're responding appropriately to the institution. Like, the it's institution the has failed in a big <laughs> way, and they have a right to be angry about the failure of that institution. What, what should have happened is the general manager of the restaurant should have come out and asked everyone to be quiet. And made quiet an announcement and stood up on the table and said, "Yeah, we, it's never happened. It's unprecedented. But we, an Italian restaurant, on a particularly <laughs> busy evening, while all of you are here, we have yeah. just served the last pasta. One noodle went into a bowl, and it was the last. It was the final noodle. We can't make more. We have <laughs> no access to pasta." <laughs> I I, yeah, that, that, that's, that's, I think what should have happened. Like ultimately yeah. when you're the boss, you have to take responsibility even when it's not your fault. But Jaden, you don't have to take responsibility even when it's not your fault. And so I hope that you will over time come to feel freed from this mortification. Mm -hmm. I always try when I'm angry at an institution to remember that I am not angry at any of the people who work for the institution. I am I am angry about a systemic failure. Yeah. But we don't really like to get angry at systems, Jaden. We like to get angry at people, especially servers. <laughs> I remember when I worked at Steak and Shake, People would get so mad at me about things that I didn't control. They would be like, why don't you have a fried chicken sandwich? And I would be like, because this is Steak and Shake. It's called Steak and Shake. It's, it's right there in the name. Do you want either of those things? This is going to surprise you, but the 19-year-old waiter right. working at the Orlando, Florida Steak and Shake at 2.30 in the morning did not design the menu. Yeah, do you know where they have... Fried chicken sandwiches, if you want one so bad, is the 7-Eleven. Just go over there. They're in the they're, they're refrigerated. You can pop it oh. right in the microwave. Take, I get, take a risk. <laughs> take a chance. Roll the dice. Have you ever held your life in your hands? <laughs> if you <laughs> Well, you haven't until you've tried a 7-Eleven fried chicken sandwich. Oh, I... Wow. Hearing you say that kind of hurts because I it's I often get those gas station fried chicken sandwiches on my way to work because it's the closest food. Hank, I don't think I told you this. With a but... bottle of Chablis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I told you this, but I recently went to Orlando, Florida, and I saw our childhood home, which looks uh -huh. the exact same, except that the trees are huge. I big. They're so big. But that's not the point of the story. Okay. The point of the story is that I also went to our childhood 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> still there? Which was like a short bike ride away from our childhood home. Yeah. And so I went to our childhood 7-Eleven and I was like walking around the aisles, uh-huh. really, really overwhelmed with nostalgia. And my kids were like, can I have Sour Patch Kids? And I was like, sure, whatever. I don't care. But you guys need to understand this is the 7-Eleven where so much magic happened. So many important things in my life happened in mm-hmm. or just outside of this 7-Eleven. Yeah. And the kids were just like, whatever, dad. Like, they thought it was kind of cool to see my childhood house, <laughs> but like seeing my childhood 7-Eleven, which was much more moving for me. Yeah, because you could go inside. Yeah, it was not at all interesting to them. I almost died outside of that 7-Eleven. And I'm not going to tell that story. This <laughs> podcast is brought to you by Our Childhood 7-Eleven. Our Childhood 7-Eleven. It contains Slurpees, mystery, and the story of ourselves. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Paul Revere's Fork. <laughs> Paul Revere's Forks. Not for me. And this podcast is additionally brought to you by The Final Noodle. The Final Noodle. <laughs> this is it. The last noodle. Fight! <laughs> And today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by the hot love of angry pigeons. The hot love of angry pigeons. <laughs> no. Is it worth it? <laughs> Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. It's not really for me to say. (laughs) It's up to the pigeons, John. John, this is very important. We have to get to this question. It's from Anonymous. Of course, why would they have attached their name to this question? Dear Hank and John, they ask, why do chairs have butt grooves? (laughs) They don't work for every butt. Is there an average butt that they work off of in manufacturing? How do they groove the butt groove? Signed, a concerned librarian in training. John, I did an amount of butt groove research. Okay, give it to me. First of all, there are several Reddit threads that you can read. There's also a a YouTube video in which a man, you can watch him make the butt grooves. Oh, wow. And it is not a scientific process, though I imagine that for somebody who's been, it seems like this is not like, maybe not his first time, but it's not his fifth kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And he he clearly made the butt grooves too big. I don't know who he was expecting, like how he was imagining his own butt when he made these butt grooves, but they were too big. And it, he sat down on it and he was like, well, that's not quite right. And then he's like, but maybe it's just my pants. And he takes off his pants and he sits on the <laughs> butt groove. <laughs> yeah. 
I I don't they don't make chairs more comfortable, do they? I think they do. I think like he no. he was certain that like that this is more comfy to have the weight spread out across, you know, a surface that conformed to the shape of the butt somewhat mm. and that it was more comfortable. But that it, of course when you're doing it in wood, you cannot make a butt groove for every butt. And it was clear that he made the butt groove for a, a butt that was way too big. One of my friends from high school is an architect and artist who works in a, in concrete a lot. Uh-huh. And he did an amazing project for the Birmingham, Alabama airport where he cast in concrete the butts of a bunch of seated people, including me, not to brag. <laughs> and you can go to the Birmingham airport and sit in the butt grooves of various Alabama luminaries. <laughs> Wait, why did I tell this story about this man who did a butt bench when there's a butt bench of your butt in the world? There is. Cancel the whole rest of the podcast. There is. I can sit in your butt. Yeah, yeah. Not to brag. Now, where specifically is it? And is it a pokey stop? I don't actually know where my butt groove is at the Birmingham airport. Next time I'm in Alabama, I'll figure it out. Yeah, it's a yeah. <laughs> I'm just you know I'm I'm de- I'm delighted that that happened to me, Hank. Before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, my million dollar idea for this week won't come as a huge surprise to you. Okay, I'd like to propose uh-huh. forks that don't have so much weight in the base that they fall out of bowls. So other so everyone else's forks. You just want you want other people's forks. I'm saying if Paul Revere can have a successful fork company, <laughs> why not us? Uh, it's true. He's got a lot of name recognition, but I'm not entirely sure why. So let's let's do it. Let's go hard. Uh, I think it's just for the one reason. <laughs> right? Like, I don't think Paul Revere wasn't like a... Yeah. He didn't have like a career as a pop artist. I think it was just that one time. I mean, I typed in Paul Revere occupation and he did a bunch of things. He was an engraver and a silversmith. It also said he was an entrepreneur, uh, which probably was just part of the engraving and silversmithing. So never mind. He basically just did the one thing. I think your main competitor here is going to win and it is goodwill and they deserve it. You're right. They deserve the win. Take the L, John. I'll do better next week. (laughs) Hey, uh-huh. Great news. Yeah. AFC Wimbledon won a football game. I saw that. In hugely dramatic fashion, no less. Yeah. Playing against uh, Gillingham or Gillingham. There's not widespread agreement in the United Kingdom on this question. Uh, <laughs> AFC Wimbledon managed a 2-1 victory via a stoppage time Callum Riley goal. All season long, AFC Wimbledon has found a way to go to a 1-0 lead, Mm -hmm. and then it's gone back to Mm 1-1 or ended up 2-1. And I thought, oh, I've seen this script before. But no, Wimbledon won a football game. All right. Good job. And and you needed it also because Liverpool lost a football game, which is apparently pretty unusual. Yes, Liverpool did lose their first uh, Premier League game of the season. It's a bummer. Life is full of disappointments, large and small. Yeah. And that one in the scheme of things is pretty small. Yes. This victory means that AFC Wimbledon is now, for the first time in many weeks, not in 20th place. We're up to the dizzying heights of 19th, Hank. There are 10 games to go in the League One season, and Wimbledon, 
at the moment at least, is eight points clear of the relegation zone. So it's still nervous, but things are certainly looking much better at the moment. Okay, good. I'm glad. And and news from Mars, John, you may have heard that people send missions to Mars and people send missions also to the moon a lot these days, our moon. Oh, yeah. But Japan has announced a mission that does best to both worlds. It's going to Mars's moons. Mm. So the mission is called the Martian Moon Exploration Mission, also MMX. And the goal is to learn more about Phobos and Deimos, which are Mars's two moons, is to, by sending a spacecraft to survey both of those moons, know what they look like, and also land a probe on Phobos, drill two centimeters into the surface, collect samples, and then those samples will be sent back to Earth. So we're not going to go to Phobos, but we're going to bring Phobos to us for further study. If you're wondering why they aren't just doing that to the surface of Mars so that we can sample the surface of Mars, which would be great, it's because it's actually much easier to get back to Earth from Phobos because it has basically no gravity, whereas Mars is a big, massive thing and it's hard to get back up that gravity well. Right. The Martian Moon Exploration Mission uh, will hopefully tell us about the origins of Phobos and Deimos, which are hotly debated, whether they're captured asteroids or whether they are like a piece of Mars that got blown off by an impact. And also, hopefully, it will tell us about Mars's history and whether Phobos and Deimos are good candidates for future human missions. So that's what's happening. It's going to launch in 2024, and the samples will be back from Phobos in 2029, if all goes according to plan. Wow. Mars. Are either of those moons big enough to ever have like humans on them yeah i mean on them probably uh yes you wouldn't want to live there the gravity would be very very slight much you know much less than even our moon oh so that actually sounds fun to me you could basically throw throw a rock into space from phobos okay well that that is not enough gravity to suit my interests (laughs) i'm looking for somewhat less gravity than we have here on earth but more than if i jump really hard i'll go into space Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think you could jump off of Phobos, but you, I, you might be able to hit a golf ball off. So <laughs> I really, I'm not, I'm not interested. <laughs> like even, it's like, it's like when they tell you like, no, the helicopter blades aren't going to hit your head. You still duck, right? You still duck. Yeah. hundred yeah. <laughs> percent of the time. I go in real low. I, I army crawl into all, those things. All the, all the times you go in helicopter. Yeah. I'm not a, I, I will admit I'm not a huge helicopter rider. I, I've been in a helicopter twice and I, oh, I have never been in a helicopter. I've been in a helicopter twice, Mm. and I do not intend to be in a helicopter for a third time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hank, it's been a pleasure to pod with you. Thank you for distracting me from my many worries. (laughs) And uh, now I'm going to go back to worrying about them, but it's been a wonderful hour. Maybe everybody can catch up on those at our Patreon-only podcast, This Week in Minor Concerns. We will do our best to have those concerns be minor. Boy, it's gonna, I'm going to struggle to find a minor one. <laughs> I know. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget to be, be awesome. awesome.